This episode of the Andrew Price podcast is sponsored, as always, by my company, Polygon. Make better renders faster. Now, this episode of the podcast is going to be answering your questions. Um, as you may know, the point of this podcast is to help dish out some of the techniques and habits and tricks that I've learned um, over my last 15 years of being an artist uh, to help you become a better artist, a more effective artist, to learn efficiently and uh, Instead of spending 10 years learning, maybe spend three, right? And get the same result. Best case scenario, right? So, uh, so that's, what this, that's what this podcast is all about. And um, yeah, I'm going to be answering your questions because I think that, um, I don't know if you've ever had this before, but like you go to a conference and there's going to be a, like a, a speaker there that's like really insightful. Maybe he's like one of the top guys from Pixar or Disney or something like that. And you're like really looking forward to it and you sit in the audience and then, He's, he's talking and he's talking about such technical, like high level things. And he's talking about like, I don't know, like budget constraints of a production and uh, I don't know, pro producing and, and, and you're just like, ah, this is not, uh, th that is at a level that I just can't understand. And then at the end of his talk, he goes, all right. And uh, questions from the audience. And then people stand in front of the microphone and they ask questions. And the question and answer session is more valuable than his presentation, which is sort of a shame for both like the presenter having to spend however long he took putting the talk together that wasn't insightful. Um, but uh, I don't know if there was a second point to that where I was going. But but anyways, and, and I think the reason for it is that, um, yeah, it... it it's when, when you've been in a field for a really long time, you don't know what questions beginners have. You think, you know, you think you're like, oh, when I look, when I was a beginner, I really struggled with X. And it's like, well, did you really, you know? Um, so yeah, so Q and A can actually be really insightful. So that's why, that's why I like to do it. So if you have questions, um, <laughs> that was a long way to get into it. Just send it to blenderguru.com forward slash podcast questions. So if you go to that link, you'll have a Dropbox folder there. And all you need to do is record a video on your phone. So you take out your phone, selfie mode, video. Hey, Andrew, this is my question. And away you go. Um, it needs to be video, must be video, um, because this is a, a podcast with a video format on YouTube. So I want to be able to see your face. So we've got four questions. Thank you to everyone who sent in uh, the questions. Um, and this first question comes from Gabrielle. All right, take it away, Gabrielle. Hi, um, I'm a French student uh, in a trade school. And um, I just want to ask if um, drawing was very important because um, in my school, they, they, ask, they ask to draw a lot. And I, I don't like that. I don't... Uh, uh, I can't draw. I can't draw. Well. Oh, Is that so French? Uh, very important <laughs> in uh, in your opinion. Thank you. Yeah, you're French, huh? Um, <laughs> no, no hard feelings. The way you said, I can't. I, I can't. There's nothing more French than the way you said that. Anyways, um, thank you for your question, Gabrielle. Despite the fact that I just um, made fun of your accent, it's a very good question. Um, it's something that actually. I struggled with for years because very early on, like literally at the start, maybe 13, 14 years ago, I was reading a, a 3D World magazine and I was reading an article by one of the experts that was on display. 
and uh, he was like a, an expert sculptor. He did these awesome sculpts of horses or something like that. And he said, if you don't know how to draw it, then you don't know how to create it in 3D. And when I heard that, when I read that, I was devastated because I thought, well, well great. Now my learning schedule has just doubled, right? I not only have to get good at the whole complicated intricacies of 3D software, but I also have to know how to draw something with a pen and pad. Two completely separate fields. And that was just crushing to me, right? And as I have gotten older, as an adult, I have learned um, to be cautious of people giving advice. Because uh, particularly when they say you need to do X in order to get good at a skill. Because... It's, it's usually always because the person giving that advice did that themselves, right? And whether they are conscious of it or not, they can sometimes be justifying the amount of time that they spent learning that thing. Um, over the years, I've been told all manner of things that you need to learn to become a good 3D artist. Um, I've had people say you need to be, all 3D artists should know programming, believe it or not, scripting, Python. Because if you know how to do that, then you can do anything you want in 3D software and not be constrained by the tools. Fair point. Um, another one said you need to be good at graphic design, just learn spacing of elements, just start principles, all that kind of thing. Um, animating, because you, it'll teach you about exaggeration and gesture. Someone else, like traditional sculpting, because you'll learn about physical volumes rather than looking through the computer screen, right? All fields and, and, and tools and techniques that will definitely be helpful. Like I'm not saying it, it wouldn't be. Um, but something that it completely misses out is like the opportunity cost, right? Like if you weigh up learning programming versus learning nothing, then yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> that would be helpful for, for 3D software. However, if it was the time it takes to learn programming versus teaching yourself something else within the 3D field, like sculpting or materials, lighting, whatever it is, if you spent the same amount of time there, which would be more valuable, right? And that's something that isn't talked about in this, this cost benefit analysis thing. So um, whenever someone says, yeah, you should study, you need to learn 2D. It's because yes, they learned it themselves um, and they therefore might be justifying that you learn it also. And so uh, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Now um, it is 14 years later, since I got that advice. And uh, for one, it is it is obvious that you don't need to learn 2D <laughs> to become a good 3D artist because you just need to look at all the great 3D artists that can't draw squat um, in 2D. It's not true. Um, and having learned 2D myself for two and a half years, going very deep into it, trying to really improve it and get, get good effectively very fast, um, has that translated to 3D? Yes, it has. But you don't need to know drawing in order to do 3D, okay? I would dispel that myth right now. However, I would say that if you were to learn 2D, you might be able to get better results faster than if you were to stick to 3D alone, okay? So, um, uh, let me say, uh, I've got some notes here, but basically it, the reason that 2D can, that can help you get there is that, that 2D is a very raw field, right? It's almost like it's, it's in the nude. When you've got a pencil and a piece of paper, what you draw, what the, the shapes that you draw on there are 
very revealing when you have something wrong. The mistakes are obvious. If the eyes are in the wrong place, the nose or whatever, if it's out of proportion, it's painfully obvious because that's all you have. You have naked lines on a piece of paper. And when it doesn't look right, it forces you, the person who was guilty of drawing that with a pencil on paper, um, it forces you to reconcile with the fact that something's wrong and I need to fix it for the next the next version. When you have 3D, you have the advantage of lighting, color, uh, compositing, materials, all that stuff that could bury it to the point that if you were to show somebody, what do you think of this? There might be so much going on that they aren't able to see, um, that you also aren't able to see the problems for what they actually are. Um, and I say this because I've seen like some technically fantastic sculpts in my years um, that have pretty rudimentary um, anatomy problems, right? Going back to the proportion example, like the eyes could be too close together or too far apart and it just doesn't work, right? And that is only obvious to me because I've gone through 5,000 terrible drawings where proportions were wrong. And I could not have gone through the same volume, 5,000 sculpts in the same amount of time. So 2D is is helpful to, to draw something quickly, draw out the, the shape, the face, the eyes, the thing, and go, it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Oh, this is here, 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 here. And you can do it like rapidly, right? Like you could have, you could learn a lesson in one minute, whereas you haven't even opened ZBrush in that time, right? So it it is a way to rapidly get there. However, there's with that, the 2D thing, there is the technical skills of, of 2D as well. There's no software. I mean, assuming you're just drawing, you know, physical, right, traditional. Um, but there is like line accuracy, right? Like being able to actually, like if you, it's, it's kind of interesting and as an experiment, if you find yourself drawing terribly all the time, um, it could be that you don't understand the correct shape, or it could be that actually your lines aren't going where you need them to. Um, <laughs> so if you draw two dots on a piece of paper on like two, two sides, of it, if you try and draw a straight line between them, it's off by like that much, like by a lot and it shouldn't be. So it's, it's pretty revealing. Um, so line accuracy is a part of it. So if you were to just jump into 2d, you'd have to get get over some of those hurdles because um, before you can learn, you know, proportion and all that kind of thing, you might have to learn how to, you know, draw from the shoulder, how to hold a pencil to get it to, you know, whatever. Um, perspective is an issue with 2D, but it's not so much with 3D because it's solved for you. There's advantages and disadvantages. But anyways, point is, is there is merit to the idea that you should learn 2D. So I'm not surprised that teachers would say that but I wouldn't want to discourage anyone and give advice that is frankly from people who invested the time learning it themselves and are probably, whether they realize it or not, justifying that others do it as well. So I'm just letting you know that there's advantages to 2D, yes, but um, there's a cost <laughs> at not learning other things in 3D in that time. So I know, for example, that like um, Nomen, Nomen Workshop, Nomen no, what's it called? It's a Nomen School. They've got three brands, I think. Four brands? They've got Nomen Live, Nomen School, Nomen Workshop. There might be another one. I don't know. Anyways, the Nomen School itself, the one in Hollywood that I went and visited, and you can watch the interview with Alex Alvarez if you wanted to. But they're a really like award-winning school. It's probably one of the few schools I would actually trust. 
Um, and by the way, somebody did ask that in the uh, video questions. Do I recommend going to art school? Thank you. I'm going to get to that. I want to do a full episode on it at some point. Um, so I'll, I'll get to that. But anyways, Nomen's one of the few that I would trust. And they actually, um, it's required that if you want to be a good sculptor, if you, if you want to learn digital sculpting in ZBrush or whatever, that you do a module of traditional sculpting with clay. They've got a full clay, whatever, workshop thing there. And it's purely, I think, to, to give you an extra thing that they think is valuable. So if they spent the same amount of time that they're going to teach you to make clay as they did in, in ZBrush, they think that it is more valuable still to have spent the time in traditional clay, even though you're going to be using ZBrush for your actual work, right? So... There's value in it. There can be value in it, but there's a cost-benefit analysis when it comes to these adjacent skills like programming, graphic design, photography, all those little um, complementary skills, I guess you could call them. And um, yeah, no one knows, man. You know, like, I mean, what I'm giving you right now is my advice. It's my perspective. And I have biases just like anyone else. And, you know, the guy on the stage with the microphone, he'll say something and a bunch of 18-year-olds will go, oh, and they'll write it down and they'll take it as 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 truth, as like this is the word of whatever, the guy on stage. What's the proof? I'm thinking of like the tablet, the stone tablet, the word of, anyway. Um, commandment, right? This is the commandment. We must do X. And it ain't so. <laughs> it ain't so. Um, advice is based on usually the perspective of the individual. And there are tens of thousands, hundreds of millions of variables that might have impacted their advice that led to it. Um, it's not to say that there aren't general rules that could generally apply to most people. Work hard, work on yourself so that you can uh, help other people, um, sort of general maxims that are generally 99 out of 100 good good pieces of advice to go by, but you end up in sort of like the fringe category of like everybody should learn 2D, and it's like, well, yeah. All right, I've riffed on it enough. Uh, thank you for your question, Gabrielle. All right, uh, this next question comes from Logan, fellow with a beanie. Let's listen to the beanie guy. This is Logan from the Awesome Goldmaster. Um, I was just wondering, like, how do you come up with ideas for projects? Because I've seen, like, people like C.G. Maddow or Ducky or lots of other people just every, like, week or every couple of days, they're, like, throwing out tutorials and, like, short animations and projects and that sort of stuff. Like, so how do you come up with ideas from projects? Good question, Logan. How do you come up with ideas? Um, the best advice I've ever heard is by the most famous artist of all, Pablo Picasso, who said, uh, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. And in my experience, that is completely true. You never have more ideas for a new project than when you're already working on one. <laughs> It's just, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that you see what can be done with this and you're like, oh, I could maybe do this, but that's a whole new thing. And I don't know what it is, but that that's that's kind of how it is. Um, so uh, because I'm regularly working, um, I almost never have this problem. My problem is that I have too many ideas 
And I have uh, an Asana board, which is what our team at Polygon and Blundiguru use to map out ideas. And it's just full of stuff. It's full of tutorial ideas, scene ideas. And then I've got ideas for 2D things that I want to do in my personal time. I do not have this problem. However, um, I know that most beginners do because uh, part of being a beginner and learning art is learning how to deal with these things. Like where does creativity come from? Where do ideas come from? So um, yeah, don't be surprised if you were to ask one of the guys on stage with a microphone, if you were to ask him like, where do you get your ideas from? Um, if he sort of laughs at you and says, oh, come on, ideas, yeah, they're everywhere, you know? Um, in fact, there was even a, it's even like a meme for the, the Norm MacDonald show, which was uh, a podcast, which is no longer available because it got bought by Netflix and then they just, I don't know, killed it because he was going to have a show. But he had, uh, it was, it's like a meme within the Norm MacDonald community of like um, one of the first questions that his sidekick had for a comedian was, where do you get your ideas from? And the, and the, <laughs> the guest just like stared into the camera for just 10 seconds and then went next question or something like that. It was hilarious. You have to see it. Um, but anyways, it's, it's, uh, and I think it was like, there's a, there's one with the Beatles, John Lennon and them, like when they were asked, like, where do you get your ideas from? And they just kind of like dismissed it and was like, ah, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those questions that pros don't really get because they have too many ideas. So they don't understand it, but I get it. It's, it's not a bad question. So, um, my advice is to start compiling an inspiration board, all right? So spend one of your practice sessions. Um, it's an easy session. You just have to go out there and find stuff that speaks to you. So um, it could be ArtStation, um, it could be Pinterest, wherever it is, and just start putting it in a board, right? That you can access easily in the future. Um, I like Pinterest. It's not exactly large images, but it works. Um, also Evernote, I use that. Um, what else could you use? Pure Ref, that's one for reference, but you could just drop stuff in there and it's like a big open canvas. It just needs to be something you can easily access and you just drop it in there and just do it like indiscriminately. Like it could also just be photos of things that speak to you, right? Like um, a lot of people like anime and Japanese architecture and old temples and buildings. So maybe you get photos of them if that speaks to you. That I kind of like that stuff myself. Um, I like snow and ice and kind of like log cabins and things in a hostile, uh, snowy environment. So maybe I have some photos of that and I just start putting it in there. And this is what you'll come back to whenever you are struggling with ideas. It's, it's, it's the stuff that, that moves you, right? And it'll, it'll help pull you out of a dark place in the future when you're struggling and you don't know what to do and you don't even know why you're putting yourself through so much pain it'll help you out, that inspiration board. Um, and your board will probably change over the years. Like what spoke to me a couple of years ago when I was learning 2D at the start doesn't necessarily speak to me now. It's in fact, some of the styles and things that I thought looked good back then, I think now don't look as good, but that's totally fine. It just, it just has to be, it's an internal tool that'll help you get there. So um, yeah, once you have that as like an anchor, um, you should be fine because then once you're starting work, you're on your idea, you'll think of other things you want to make, right? So you mentioned like Ducky and I think a, a few other YouTubers and things and the tutorials that they make, where do they get their ideas from? I guarantee you it's just from making tutorials. They, they just, it's almost like you just need something to start the process. You need a spark, right? And then once you're on that path 
and you've finished that one project, you've got an idea for the next one and you do that one and then that one and then that one. Um, and I think also there's probably a component that I don't really know where it fits into it, but if once you know how to do something well enough, you're also not scared by things that might seem too daunting or crazy. Like, yeah, maybe if you're a beginner and you're really interested in like, I don't know, a Japanese temple, right? Um, maybe that's kind of scary. And so you're, without even thinking it, you're kind of like stopping that thought, right? Like, yeah, I would love to make that, but I can't obviously. So I'm just not going to have that thought. And then you're like, what can I make? And it's like, you're really, you're not thinking of like, where do I get ideas from? You're thinking of like, what can I achieve with my current skill set? So I think having that broad range of things that, that speaks to you, starting with something simple and yeah, not biting off more than you can chew um, as well to build up to the point where eventually maybe two years down the road, you can make that temple or maybe six months later. I don't know. I'm, this is just raw, rough little time frames I'm throwing out there. Um, so anyways, that'd be my advice to you, Logan. Um, now, before we get to the next question, um, a little advert. What is new at Polygon? Uh, so Polygon, for those of you who do not know, of course, I mean, who doesn't know about it, especially if you've been listening to this podcast, it's my only advert. I, I sponsor myself. I liked that meme someone made of me where it was the guy giving a medal to himself and my face is on both of them. And it said, uh, this video is sponsored by Polygon and I'm giving a medal to myself. And I'm like, I thought that was great. Um, very true. But hey, you know, that's, that's uh, why would I be doing this podcast <laughs> if it wasn't? No, I do it because I love you guys, right? I love, I love spending an hour setting up everything and hiring a video editor and uploading it. And yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, I mean, look, it is what it is, right? Uh, let's, let's just do the dang advert. So uh, Polygon, uh, what's new at Polygon right now? Uh, a bunch of beach rocks. Just a bunch of beach rocks. Uh, so no, these were um, expertly photo scanned beach rocks. By the time this video goes up, they will be live on the site. And these are the best rocks you've ever seen. If you've ever, if you bought the rock essentials from years ago, throw it out, man. Um, probably literally, I tried the rock essentials recently and I'm like, ooh, uh, maybe we shouldn't be selling this anymore. Um, they're really old fashioned. These new ones, just four years later, the technology and the standards have improved so much. It's, it's the best quality rocks you've ever seen. So they're, um, I think some of the models, like the, like 200 to 500 million polys or something, the highest detail you could imagine, but still you can render them. Um, thankfully most software now, poly count isn't even that much of a problem. Um, anyways, point is, is they're great. They're photo scanned, uh, from Vancouver Island, um, in Canada, um, really large ones as well, like larger than people, like several meters wide. So a bunch of them you can put together and make a really nice beach scene. And we've got some sand, uh, new photo scan sand as well. You can throw them all in there. Um, and yeah, goes great with the other rocks that we released not too long ago as well. We've also got some plants and a bunch of photo scan grounds. So, uh, so that's what's new at Polygon, polygon.com, P-O-L-I-I-G-O-N.com if you're interested. All right. Now, next question. This one comes from a lady. I'm gonna hit play and it'll play at some point. Oh, maybe I pushed play too many times. Come on, Dropbox, you're supposed to be interactive. Ready? Play. Hi, Andrew, my name is Sarah. Um, I currently work as a graphic designer, um, but I found that the 
3D through Learning Blender is what I really like doing um, digitally. I like media in general. Creating um, digital assets is really fun. Um, I'm really enjoying animation so far. Uh, and I want to take it to the next level, but really the finances of the whole thing, like having to make a mortgage payment and not being like super young. I'm 29 and oh, approaching 30 and it just lots of things. It seems like there's a time constraint, um, which just sucks in general. But uh, yeah, if you have any advice about going back to school and affording it or if it's even worth doing. I really want to hear about it. Thanks. Good question, Sarah. Um, there was sort of buried in there, I think, two questions, which was, um, is it too late to learn 3D? And how can I do it on the cheap whilst I've got a mortgage? Um, your question of should I go to art school? Definitely don't think that's a good idea. Um, I've riffed on them enough, and I'm going to do a full episode at some point. Um, but no, I don't think you should go to art school. Um, it's just, uh, especially when you're not even really sure if it's what you're into. You mentioned that you're graphic design and you're into the digital fields and things. Um, you can kind of get very excited at the start, I find. And then as you get into the weeds, you can kind of pull you out and go, actually, this is a lot more intense than I imagined. Um, so that's why I always recommend everyone just start with Blender because it is free and, uh, and, and you can learn for free. So anyways, we'll get to that. Your first question though, um, is it too late at 29? Hell no. Um, <laughs> right. It, it, if you're 49, maybe like if you want to get a job in the industry, um, that, but even then, no, like, I mean, yeah, ageism is real. Definitely. Right. And if you're going to be applying to be a junior artist at a 3d studio, you're just starting at 49, and, you know, you might be able to get in as a junior position, maybe four years later. So you're going to be mid fifties. Yeah. Ageism is real. They're going to, uh, they're going to expect to see a young 18 year old with a satchel walking in there. And you're going to come in there with your Dell laptop or whatever in your briefcase. I know you're not that old, but come on. Um, you're going to put that in there and it's going to, it's going to shock them a little bit. They're going to be like, Ooh, uh, you're new at this, aren't you? Um, however, Portfolio is everything. They do not care really what anyone looks like. I always think it, it's uh, uh, in the arts field, it is the it is the only factor that really ever comes into the equation. We hire a lot of people at Polygon. We look at a lot of portfolios and that's all we care about. It <laughs> doesn't matter what you've got between your legs. doesn't matter how many gray hairs you have on you. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. We just only care about portfolio. We, most recruiters struggle to find people who are good enough and that's all that they care about. So I wouldn't say ageism is even uh, that big of a deal. Um, 50s, 60s, whatever. I'd, I'd say you can get a job. Um, they need people who are good. If you're good, they're going to hire you, right? Um, and you're mature. That's like something people, like most recruiters do not like dealing with is immature. This is my first job straight out of school. Um, people, it, it, it's hard to deal with those people. They don't know how, how to work with other people yet. They haven't dealt with coworkers and dealt with management and, uh, they end up making YouTube videos about their experience at Disney and how it wasn't all fun and games. Um, like there was that one along uh, a little while ago. Um, it just, it just, yeah, it just screams of sort of 
haven't haven't had experience yet. Anyways, I'm sort of going off the off into a tangent here. Um, okay, so uh, you you definitely at 29 don't don't even think about it. it's being too old. Um, it really, I think probably what you're you're thinking is is like there are people that are ahead of me, and yeah, there are. You're 29. And some of the people working in the industry today started when they were 15. So you're 15 years behind. However, there's also people on the team who are in their 60s, 50s and 60s, and they are not management. Um, That's okay, right? As I said, all that matters is what is in your portfolio. So um, my advice would be to, uh, if you want to get good um, to a point that you can become employable, whether that's to work for a studio or, or do freelancing, um, is to, yeah, really dive in deep. And I'd probably start with episode one of this podcast where I explain the 10 habits of being an effective artist, um, whereby number one is daily work. Um, in fact, if, if you were to like just point out like five random people who are going to be learning 3D and to estimate which one of them is going to be successful, if one of them was doing daily work, I would guarantee that one. I'd, I'd make money all day long betting on the person doing daily work, even if it was like an hour or two every day. If it was every day, it's always going to be the sporadic sprints. I think I've said this a million times before, but it's worth saying again. Um, that's that's what you should be focusing on right now. It's a slow. It's a slow marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, so just focus on the on the the, the daily input there. Um, now. Uh, your other question was really how to learn on the cheap, really, I think, because you've got a mortgage and uh, you do not want to go to art school, trust me. Um, it, you do not want to add another debt, a extremely large debt, and possibly get conned um, by going to a very bad art school or who are basically giving you information that you can get yourself. Okay, now, is being self-taught going to be a little bit harder than going to a, a structured university. Yes. Um, in terms of motivation, absolutely. It is, that's like one of the key advantages to an art school is that you have a community around you of other people who are also struggling and failing. And you have a mentor there who is de- hopefully teaching you the right things to bring you out of that. And uh, and there's a community aspect to it. So you don't feel as down on yourself um, I, I really think probably the, yeah, one of the top problems of self-learning is just, it, it's a mental game. If That's really the number one reason most people don't succeed at self-learning is that mentally it's a little bit, well, it is very challenging. Um, but you can do it. I'm self-taught. I never went to university. Okay. Um, self-taught. And uh, a lot of people in the industry are. And here's the other thing as well is like, even if you went to art school, like a degree is like three years, right? And then when you come out of it, it's not like you dust off your hands and go, that's it. I'm trained. I'm qualified. Check that box. Uh, no, you <laughs> you have to, you now have to keep self-learning, right? So you're just delaying the process of self-learning, which you're going to have to do eventually anyway, because all artists have to keep learning. Um, it's, I mean, it's the reality of today. The world moves so fast. There's bigger and better people. There's better schools. There's better information online. People are going to, the bar is constantly raising. And I mean, if you're interested in arts, it won't be a problem. You just have to, yeah, keep training, keep getting better and keep improving. 
Um, so anyways, you just have to, you're going to be putting it off by going to art school. All right. Anyways, self-learning. Okay. If you were to do self-learning, how to do it on the cheap, two things, Blender and YouTube. Uh, that's it. That's all you need. Thank goodness, Blender is free. It is open source and does not cost any money to learn it. And you do not have to pay anyone for a subscription. And it is becoming industry standard in its own right in certain areas. And it is fantastic, right? It is amazing compared to what it was when I started 15 years ago. Uh, and then YouTube. <laughs> if you listen to the last episode of this, I do not recommend books. I think that books are generally always outdated. Um, and YouTube is where I go. It's where I go to learn something. If I want to learn sculpting, if I want to learn uh, design principles, if I want to learn uh, whatever it is, the first place I go is YouTube. Um, and there are sometimes where you exhaust all of the, like I find YouTube is very good at these sort of beginner level stuff, which is actually kind of why I think art school is really truly a bit of a waste of money, nine times out of 10, because it's designed for beginners. And yet that is where YouTube and the free mark, or the, the free, not the free market, the kind of the free information it excels. Where you start to need um, something more is when you enter sort of intermediate to advanced area. Um, yeah, like if you want to learn sculpting in Blender, there's a whole bunch of tutorials teaching you um, yeah, the tools, retopology, all the technical stuff. If you want to learn how to make really good sculpts that look amazing, you're going to need to learn about anatomy and form and sort of the traditional theory around that. And a lot of that stuff is taught by experts and some of them are not on YouTube. They are on Gumroad, um, ArtStation. They've got some paid uh, things on there. They're in other places, uh, Udemy, etc. So actually Udemy in my experience is pretty beginner level as well. But anyways, so uh, that's my advice. Blender and YouTube, just stick to those places. Um, yeah. And uh, oh yeah, Noman as well. Noman's got like a free, uh, no, like, like paid courses. Yeah, actually a lot of universities now have like modules that you can buy and just, it's like a set of videos that you can watch at home. So some of those can be good as well. I think, what is it? Think Tank? I think that's another online school that I would recommend. Are they online? Yeah, anyway. So that's my advice to you, Sarah. Thank you for your question. Very good question. All right. Now this next question comes from Abade. Abade, let's find out. I should really stop trying to read the names. But hey, you get to see me mess up. Isn't that fun? While we wait for Dropbox to play. Go. Hey there Andrew Price, my name is Zubair and my question is how to become a CG artist and earn as a living without working in any industry like you and um, also without making characters because I'm not supposed to make characters. Well, I have a question for you. <laughs> Why are you not supposed to make characters? I feel like that's a... Oh man, there's two ways that can go. It's like somebody said, no. No, I do not want you to, like your parents said, or, or it was like, maybe you made a character once and then everyone agreed for society. It would be best if you do not do characters anymore. <laughs> um, you're not supposed to, or you don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's an, a language thing, but anyways, that was funny. Um, I should really stop um, <laughs> just dumping over everyone's question. No one's going to want to send in anymore. <sighs> All right. Um, your question was how to make money how to make money uh, without being in any industry. Um, 
which I guess maybe you're talking about like studios. Um, so yeah, got some ideas, got eight ideas. In fact, you want to hear them? Hmm? Uh, maybe, maybe I'll tease them out. Um, number one, freelancing. And this is going to be, by the way, in order of uh, easiest to most hard. Okay. So number one, how to make money. If you don't want to work for somebody else, it's, it's freelancing. Okay. That's the, the door is always open to freelancing and you don't even really have to be that skilled at it um, to find somebody who needs something done on the low. There's a bunch of businesses out there that are making a flyer and they need the text to look 3D. I don't know why. Maybe their mindset is in the 90s and they think that looks cool. I have no idea, but they want that, right? And if you're on Fiverr or Upwork or any of those freelance sites, and you have marketed yourself as correctly as someone who can do motion graphics or like little things, bunch of stuff in your portfolio that they might look at and go, yeah, I need stuff like that. Then yeah, they're going to hire you, right? Um, you don't have to be that good at it to, to get that kind of work because you're, a, you're a, basically a technician at that point. You're using the software to do exactly what they want. There's very little art history involved. So that's kind of the lower tier stuff. And you can build your way up as you keep learning to... Paid, uh, sorry, to um, more aesthetic, artistic things as you as you work your way up, and maybe you can do commercials and full, I don't know, little animation sequences for for something like that. Um, and yeah, th that's that's definitely a way. So it's I like freelancing because it's kind of flexible to your skill level. Um, yeah. Okay. The next one down is very common as well: selling models. So uh, there are three major sites that a lot of people go for their models today. Turbo Squid, CG Trader, and Sketchfab, which is a sort of latecomer, which is, but it's rising in a popularity by a lot. Um, you can sell models, okay? So this is more common than you probably imagine in the 3D industry, but studios, um, small teams working on commercials, whatever, when they need assets, even myself, when I need an asset, I often do not model it myself. That sounds crazy to beginners, but if you already know how to do something and it's going to take you 10 hours to do it versus you could buy it literally now for $10, $20, well, what is my hourly rate, <laughs> right? It's definitely more than, I don't know what that would be, a dollar, right? Um, so it, it's a cost benefit, right? Balance it out. It all, almost always makes sense to purchase the model. Um, so it's we just need a volume of stuff now. That's kind of the future of 3D. <laughs> it's like assets. You're building stuff. It's basically, it's like it's like Duplo at this point, right? Like half of the stuff you see on screen, VFX, video games, it's literally like bringing in packs of things and dropping them in there like modular blocks to build out a world. We take a tree from here. We take a rock from Polygon. We take, uh, I don't know, a texture from Megascans. We take a whatever from TurboSquid and we blop, 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 blop. And now we have a beach, right? And that's the future, right? So we need stuff. If you want to get good at selling models, I probably should do an episode on it at some point, but uh, you should really research it first and try to figure out what does it take to make a living selling models? Because yes, there are some people who are making like, 50 to 100 grand a year selling models, sometimes even a lot more than that. Um, but they tend to have a lot of them, a lot of models. 
a large volume of it. And more importantly, they are focusing on key problems, right? Not solutions, which is different. They sound like they would be the same. You do not, this, they say this in business because selling models is having a business. Uh, you, you should not be uh, trying to solve, hang on. You should not be creating solutions. You should be solving problems. Did I say it the wrong way around before? Um, the, uh, here's an example, okay? Um, oh, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Well, how am I going to say it? Oh, okay. Here's an example, okay? I'm going to create a machine. This is not related to 3D. I'm going to create a machine that will open letters for you. So it's this box and you put a letter in the little slot and then the little machine goes and, and opens it and and then out comes the letter and you don't have to go through the problem of like getting a knife out of a drawer and like trying to open the letter. I'm going to make a machine and I'm going to go through all the years of development and invention time to make this machine, bring it to market and nobody will buy it. Why? Because they don't have that problem, right? Yeah, it's a little annoying to get out a knife. It's not a big problem. You just tear it. Who gives a crap? Tear the letter in half, half the time. It doesn't matter. I just open it like a, <laughs> like a raccoon <laughs> and just launch into it. The problem that most people have, I mean, if you went to somebody who opens a lot of letters, what, what problem do most people have? It's something totally different, right? It's like, how can I digitize this letter? Okay. So this is the sort of the mindset related to selling models. You don't want to go, ah, uh, I know what I should sell birdhouse model, right? I've used this a lot, the birdhouse example, but I'm going to make a 3D model of a birdhouse and I'm going to, it's going to be the best detailed birdhouse you've ever seen. And everyone's going to buy it if, when they need a birdhouse. Okay. Who needs a birdhouse <laughs> for the scene, right? If you spend the same amount of effort making something that people truly need, a tree, or a, a plant or a piece of furniture or whatever it is. Yes, it's more competitive in that category, but find out a key problem within that category. What is the problem with the existing trees on the market? Maybe they don't animate. Maybe they're unoptimized. Maybe they're whatever. You find out the problem that people have with those models and then you figure out how to solve it. And then when you sell it, you advertise it very clearly as it animates and it's optimized and whatever. And it looks great. And you have all the right images and all the right renders. Guess what? Then you start making money. Okay, people start buying it. Bada bing, bada boom. Move on to the next model. Another one, another problem solved. I mean, basically I'm, I'm outlining the business plan for Polygon, essentially. That's what we do every month. Um, but uh, but yeah, a lot of people do it very successfully on Turbo Squid, CG Trader, Sketchfab. I've seen one on Blender Market as well. There's a couple of people, I think, that have like many pages of products that sell to the Blender audience. Some of them are like teams of people. Okay, that was the first two. And I'm already needing water. Um, number one was freelancing. Number two, selling models. Number three, training. Make training. Uh, so this is uh, actually the how I got into the industry. I started off, actually, I started off trying to become a freelancer. And then I thought, no one is hiring me because they don't know who I am or that I even exist. So I watch a lot of tutorials. Maybe I should make tutorials. It was interesting that I tried to extrapolate that the same people watching a tutorial would also be the same people doing freelancing, but it actually worked. Like a studio gave me a, a freelancing gig after seeing a tutorial that I did. But anyways, unrelated. Um, and, and the reason I stuck with the training part was that I realized there was a lot more need and money and I enjoyed it far more than the freelancing stuff. Um, so 
There's a couple of routes you can go within training. You can do the free training on YouTube and put adverts on your videos, which is, um, there's, I mean, people think it's, it's, it's competitive and it is, but it's, it's only competitive because I mean, you have to be good, right? There's you, it. Yes, if you started out making tutorials, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like I did, you could be bad and still get a lot of views. There was less of an audience then. I was getting, you know, my top videos were maybe 20 or 50,000 views on Vimeo. Nowadays, you know, my donut video is 5 million, right? So the audience has definitely ballooned. Um, but also, even if you stayed at that stage of being a terrible trainer, um, by now you would have been overrun by the competition as well because the market for training, like the quality has improved so much. So um, what was I saying? Anyways, the point is, is you can, you can make, uh, you can make videos on, on YouTube. You can make training tutorials on YouTube. Again, coming back to the solving a problem, not creating a solution. You want to use your time wisely and focus on areas within the tutorial marketplace that are currently unsolved. There's not very many rigging tutorials. There's not very many tutorials for game asset development, for making an asset in Blender, bringing it into Udemy, Udemy, <laughs> Unity, Unreal, uh, what's that other one? Godot, uh, Lumberyard, <laughs> the Amazon one. What are they doing? Um, that's a thing, Lumberyard that I learned. Um, it's big too, right? Anyways, um, there's there's a bunch of, of topics that haven't been touched on YouTube. That's why I get so annoyed when people go like, oh, it's too saturated now. You can't become a good YouTuber. Like, no, you can't be a bad YouTuber. That's your problem. You want to be average. You want to be the most mediocre tutorial maker and make a living. You're right. You can't. <laughs> We've got mediocre. We've got mediocre coming out of our elbows right? Uh, so you can't be mediocre. You just have to, you have to get good, right? And yeah, your first videos won't be very good, but you'll get better. And if you're solving a real problem people have that are trying to learn something specific, then yes, your video will be popular. People will find it even if you are a bad speaker. Um, so you can make money there. Um, you can also sell them. So that's, you know, the free route on YouTube. It's going to be a long, hard grind up that hill before you can actually replace your full-time income doing that. Um, which at your age, Abodair, I don't think is, you're not very old, but anyways. Um, however, you could also sell them. So uh, you could sell them on Gumroad, ArtStation, or Udemy. That is a kind of a different business model of, um, yeah, just you know, make money up front of, uh, of a thing. I think generally the stuff that does really well on Gumroad and ArtStation, especially, are kind of are things that are very hard. You have to be like really good, I think, that people would pay to... It's kind of known as the expert space. So to be, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what's an example? Like um, a concept artist workflow for Blender to for using grease pencil in Blender or um, uh, making environments for production, um, whatever, right? Like like a full, like a very niche problem um, that people in the intermediate to advanced stage would be interested in. Um, Udemy, I actually think is more of a beginner area in my experience. Um, but the ones that excel on there are full courses because that's what Udemy is, but, but like a full course, like, uh, how to do a full, 
I don't know, the full asset production line, like a, like how to make an asset from start to finish from the modeling stage in Blender and the, the, the texturing and substance painter or whatever it is. Or maybe it's a full Blender course. There's one of them on Udemy that's always advertised everywhere. Um, that's like a beginner series for Blender. So like a, a series, it's almost like a curriculum. People like to be guided through things. So if you're getting started in training, I would say you probably can only do the YouTube and the Udemy thing. If you get Gumroad and ArtStation for now. And uh, yeah, focus on real problems and try to solve them. Okay, we got to get through them. All right, number four, sell stock images and animations. Okay, um, this is a little more difficult. It is a little harder. You have to be very good to sell these stock images. Um, the animations, there's a, a bunch of sites that kind of want like, like templates, right? Like kind of like assets, like, a, like okay, someone is making a, a, a video for their boss and they've got a guy on the whiteboard and the boss is like, oh, we should have a hologram come out of the table to show how futuristic our company is. And the video editors are like, uh, you sure about that? And he's like, hey, I know what I'm talking about. And they're like, all right. And then they need to go and they need to find like stock video of like a hologram with like a beam and like something on it or whatever, right? That kind of stuff I think is where 3D can come in. I don't think the images like, yeah, like a robot or something for the future. Like it is hard. And actually a lot of those sites, if you read like stock images, iStock photo or whatever, what, what do we need more of they have? Like, you know, what sort of photos do we need more of? I think all of them say like, we do not need 3D anymore. <laughs> um, but animation stuff does, there does seem to be a lot of 3D elements and things in there. So that's, that's an area to look at. Again, I would say this is a little harder. That's why it is number four. But there's number five now, which is sell 3D printed models. So this is something where, I mean, there are people, basically you just have to go to Shapeways. Go to shapeways.com and see the stores that people are using. So basically the way it works is um, I, let's say I have, uh, oh, what's it gonna be? Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of different products on there. Um, okay, but maybe I, I have a helmet and it's got an attachment on it for a GoPro, but it doesn't fit this new GoPro. So I wanna have a, an attachment that'll do it. Well, someone on Shapeways will be making like a GoPro attachment for that helmet attachment, whatever it is, right? Like little tiny niche things. And what you do is as, an, as the person selling it is you create the thing that works and it, it looks good or whatever. You upload that model. I don't know what format it is, .stl I think it is. Um, to the Shapeways store. They often want you want a real photo of it, of the physical product. They want the digital version, whatever it is. And then when somebody wants to buy it, they go to shapeways.com, they see your product, they buy it for whatever price you set it at. And then Shapeways does all the work for you. They have all the printers or whatever. I think it's based out of Amsterdam. They print it out and then they send it to the person who bought it, which is great for you. They're kind of a Dropbox, drop, drop shipping, right? Whatever that term is. It's like you don't actually have to have a physical, um, like a garage that stocks all of these 3D models. It's all handled by Shapeways. So obviously they take a cut, whatever that cut is, I don't know. Um, and they make money from the printing process or whatever it is, but it's, it's infinitely more valuable because you do not have to go through the problem of stocking it and whatever. Um, actually my wife is looking at doing it for cake decorating. Um, there is a need for like, 
cake cutters or cookie cutters in interesting shapes that aren't the traditional like triangle or triangle. Are there cookies that are in triangles? Like circles or star shapes or whatever. Like people want interesting things of like people or a, uh, a logo, right? You want a cookie in the shape of a company logo for a Christmas party or something or whatever it is. People want sort of custom things now. Like the world is getting more and more custom. So um, yeah, there's people that are making money by selling uh, 3D printed things for cake decorating because my wife's really into cake stuff. Um, one area that's kind of cool is like, um, I'm trying to convince my wife to do it, but uh, uh, like a lot of cakes, they want to make it look like a physical surface of something. So they'll make a cake and like, they'll want to have like a brick wall texture for the for the cake. I don't know, maybe it's a kid's birthday party and he likes Oscar the Grouch or something. And they want to have a brick wall with the can. Of, I don't know, whatever the kid wants, right? So there's a whole bunch of like wood for like a wedding cake or like all these different textured things. And I'm like, well, you know, Polygon, my company, we've got like the highest res photo scanned surfaces with like really accurate displacement. And it's it's already tiled, which means you could use those scans to print out the imprint of what that needs to be. And it would be far more photo real and it would tie well and it would blow away anything else in the cake decorated community. No one else has this imprint thing. So she's kind of, she's interested in it. Anyways, that's an example. Um, just go to Shapeways. You'll see a bunch of examples there. Number six, prints. Uh, so go to ArtStation, look at the print category. 3D artists like Beeple and a bunch of others are selling their artworks in print form. The problem with this, and this is why it's number six on here, is that it is not very achievable for beginners, intermediate users, um, really, or even advanced users if you are not artistic. <laughs> A lot of 3D artists, probably myself included, really, are not really artists. They are technicians. They are making technical demonstrations of their skills, and they do not tend to look that great on the wall. So uh, you might be very impressed with the environment that you made in 3D, but would a complete stranger want to buy it and print it and stick it on a wall? Not unless there is some artistry involved. There's some voice or some something in it that is, I don't know, that people would be interested in, right? So um, yeah, just, just, uh, just make a note of that. You have to be good at art uh, before you enter that one. And then number seven, and then this is where we're really getting into the hard stuff. Digital NFT. So I mentioned, I only just discovered this like a few weeks ago. Uh, digital NFT. So NFT stands for a non-fungible token. It is uh, essentially people like Beeple who have been invited by these websites that are now selling NFTs um, to create artwork that has a digital token of authenticity, essentially. And the artist, in this case, Beeple, one of those amazing famous artists that have been talked about on Joe Rogan and he a huge following on Instagram, etc. Um, he made an artwork, which I think I spoke about before, was um it was one of for the US election. And it had uh it was artwork that would actually change depending on who won the US election. Um and if it was Biden, it was gonna be like this peaceful utopia. If it was Trump, it was gonna be him like storming through a hell with fire and screams all around him or something. It was very Hey, it's a little partisan, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, he created, uh, he sold two tokens for that, meaning two people got to become genuine owners of that artwork. 
The artwork is visible to everyone. It's a video. It's even on his Instagram. You don't get anything for it other than the token. Okay. And you might be thinking like, well, who would want that? Would anyone really buy that? Yeah, there was a bidding war. In fact, two people bought it uh, for around $66,000 each, I believe. Yeah, uh, that's a thing now. <laughs> so if you're interested in that, look up NFT, which stands for non-fungible tokens. There's a few articles that talk about it. It is, it blows my mind. Um, but when you think about it, it's not crazy, right? Like the whole point of artwork is that like physical artwork, the reason it has value is that there's only one of them. There's one kind, one, one thing, right? Well, if you have a piece of digital artwork that could maybe be on a screen, maybe has some sort of token of authenticity on it or something like that, or it changes. There's one that I saw that it was a, it was a Bitcoin artwork that changes depending on the value of Bitcoin of that day. So every day there's a new artwork that would appear on it. Very interesting space, actually. Um, but yeah, they're selling for a, for a lot. You have to be invited to some of these. Like there's only a few places that have, um, I can't remember the name of that one that Beeples was on, but they have to invite you to it. Cause I like hit him up on Twitter. I'm like, Hey man, <laughs> did you seriously sell this for $66,000? And then are there, can anyone do this? And he's like, well, this one you have to be invited. So it's kind of like a, um, if you've looked at the high, the fine art world, the high priced fine art collector art world, um, basically there's two art gallery, uh, museums, what, whatever they're called that, that do the, the auctioneers, Sotheby's and Christie's or Chrissy's, whatever it is like New York and London or something like that. And basically the value of the art is the fact that they're selling it, right? They are vouching for the fact that this is a high, a piece of artwork by an artist worth knowing that is going to be worth more in the future. So it's their selection that is actually what's giving it its value. That's my understanding, limited understanding. So there's websites now that are kind of like that. And in fact, I believe Sotheby's is actually getting into the NFT world as well because they can see it. They can see it coming. So uh, very exciting, right? But even me, even me, what? This big famous guy with a YouTube channel. Even me, I said out loud, um, would not do well in the NFT space, I think, because I'm not making art, really. I'm a technician. If I have to be brutally honest with myself, I would like to call myself an artist. But I'm not, right? I'm just, I'm just making tutorials. Uh, maybe I should one day think about making art um, and make sixty-six thousand dollars for a little animation. I don't know, but it is, it is a fun, it is an interesting space. You wondering what the final one is? Create animations for YouTube. That's why this is last on the list because if you want to know how to make money, money is not the first thing I think of when I think of uh, making an animation for YouTube. The easiest category would be kids content because that uh, has billions of views and it looks like trash. No offense if you've worked on kids content, but if you know what you're doing, you'd probably agree with me. Kids content has a extremely low bar. It is something that almost all parents can agree on is that the stuff that is sold to kids in terms of content is so low. And that's just talking about Netflix. I'm not even talking about YouTube. We barely watch kids content on YouTube for my, for my daughter. Um, it's mostly stuff on Netflix. And God, God, man, the camera moves. It's like they think the more, the faster you move the camera and the more often you move it, the more interested the kids will be. And maybe that's true. I don't know, but I feel sick 
oh, I feel like I'm putting on a VR headset for the first time. It is nauseating. It's like, hold the camera still for the love of Pete. <sighs> Anyways, the point is, is the bar is low um, to, to make content. However, I would also say it is like, uh, uh, what is it? Crap shooting, crap shooting, crap in a barrel to crap fish, fish in the hand, bird in the sky. Um, it is really random as to whether or not I think something could succeed because I happen to know someone who made, who are really good artists, expert artists who made a really good stuff for kids. And I don't think it's success. I haven't seen it anywhere since that they made it and it's very high quality. Um, but I don't think it is a success. So likewise, there's a bunch of trash that is just bought and promoted and worth millions. Um, so I don't, I don't understand it. Right. So I don't know what it is. Catchy tunes, um, partnerships with big companies or toy manufacturers or a marketing strategy that gets it in front of YouTubers or whatever it is that sort of leads to this success. I don't understand it, but the bar is low, but it's not guaranteed if you're good at what you do that you will be a success. So the success doesn't seem to be related to the quality of the animation as a broad idea. So anyways, that's my that's my eight things. Uh, number one, freelancing. Number two, selling models. Number three, selling training. Number four, stock images and animations. Number five, selling 3D printed models. Number six, selling prints, artworks for your walls. Number seven, selling digital non-fungible tokens, NFT, and then number eight, creating animations for YouTube. So that's a list for you to choose from. Um, but honestly, I think if you're just starting out and you want to make some money without having to get a job at a company, freelancing is your best bet. Um, that's what I would do. It's the doors open to anyone and everyone has different needs. There are buyers that want the most crazy, stupid thing that you could knock up in five minutes and they'll pay for it. They might pay $5 for it, but you could do it in five minutes. So um, yeah, it, you, they just need technicians, <laughs> right? At the, at the low, 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 low end, um, right? Like you could, you could pick up Photoshop having never used it, like loan it for a day, two days maybe, and then like sell your services on Fiverr, right? Follow some tutorials on like photo manipulation, like how to smooth out wrinkles or whatever, make a photo retouching to make a, beauty photo. You could follow some tutorials on having how to do that, having just learned it two days ago and sell your services on Fiverr because there are grannies and uh, I don't know, grandfathers who want to create a beautiful photo for their granddaughter. And he's unfortunately going to go to Fiverr <laughs> to, to look for a service of someone who can make a beauty photo. I don't know, but they just, they, they don't know. They don't know how to use the software themselves. They imagine it to be so hard, even though you could learn it in a couple of days. And so they'll, they'll hire someone and you could get a job doing that literally like now. It's a gig. It's, we shouldn't call it a job. It's a gig, the gig economy. So yeah, anyone really could get a job in 3D freelancing. It's, it's going to be low bar, but you gradually work your way up. And that's what I kind of like about it. It kind of, it's, it's less risky than any of the other objects, which are sort of selling to a mass market. The one disadvantage to freelancing is that you only get out what you put in, meaning when you are asleep in your bed, you are not making money. Whereas if you were to sell models, 
If you make that model once and it is a hit model, you make money whilst you are sleeping. Not forever, because in my experience, models tend to become outdated three years, three to five years, I think at best. Um, that's when they tend to start to notice them being outdated. Whatever is hot now, whatever we've put on Polygon today with the best highest resolution thing, I'm sure will look outdated in five years because it'll be down to the microscopic atom level of the rock. And there'll be an X-ray of the rock now and not a photo scan. And we're going to be outdated because this is just a photo scan. I don't know what it is, but it's, there's always something bigger and more detailed down the road. So you could sell, you could make a model now that, that makes money while you sleep, but don't depend on it forever. It's not going to, nothing lasts forever. Um, and everyone dies. I have to include that. Every podcast I talk about death, everybody dies. And that's it. Happy times. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Send your next questions to blunderguru.com forward slash podcast question. And it is a video question format only. Take out your phone, selfie mode, record a video. Hey, Andrew, I'm from Argentina or wherever you're from. I good to know if, where you're from, actually. And this is my question. Um, so that would be my suggestion. Thank you for listening. If you want great assets, go to Polygon, P-O-L-I-I-G-O-N.com and create better renders faster. I will see you in the next episode. Bye.